Hebrews chapter 4. To be near to God, to be resting in Him. How many of you had a good Christmas, New Year's time enjoying the friends and family with the Lord and, and uh, all of those things? And I'll tell you, they tell us that it's supposed to be a time where you're supposed to get lots of rest and feel refreshed. From the, how many of you need about a week to sleep and catch up from the holidays? And a box of Alka-Seltzer, not because you were drinking alcoholic beverage, uh, just because you ate too much and too many different things and all of that. But uh, we talk often at the beginning of the year of all of the things we want to accomplish in the coming year. What is the first thing that we usually do in the new year? Break all the promises that we made to try to change what we did last year. Isn't that true? Boy, it got quiet in here. If you can't be honest in church, where are you going to be honest, my friend? I mean, that's normally what we do. We, we sit down and we take a few minutes and say, boy, this year is going to be different than last year. And it ends up being about the same. How many of you would like this coming year to be different than last year? I mean, we would. And we, we want it to be different. And as we look at the book of Hebrews, the Bible talks about rest. In verse 1 of Hebrews chapter 4, it says, Let us therefore fear, lest a promise being left us of entering into his rest, any of you should seem to come short of it. We look at this verse. Let's read, let me read that again. It says, Let us therefore fear, a, lest a promise being left us of entering into his rest, any of you should seem... To come short of it. Now, this idea of rest is something that God wants us as His children to enjoy, to be a part of every day. Uh, our building, uh, you don't have to look very close to find out, it was not built as a Baptist church, it was built as a Jewish synagogue. And uh, oftentimes people will ask, well, what about the Old Testament law? Shouldn't we keep the Sabbath and all of these things? And, and the answer is simply this. Yes, the Christians should keep the Sabbath, but it's not Saturday only. It's to be every day you live for Christ. You see, Jesus, when he uh, died on the cross, he paid the price of every sin, but... Just as importantly as that, he fulfilled every demand of God's law. And the things that were there to teach us different ideals, this is why we as Christians do not follow the Old Testament dietary laws and why we do not follow the ceremony and the ritual of the, of the temple or the tabernacle that was before that. Because Jesus in his work, in his life, in his death on the cross, in his resurrection from the dead, fulfilled every part of God's law. Now, when you have fulfilled something, let's take the example of a loan. How many of you have ever borrowed money? Now, when you make that last payment... How many of you have had the joy of getting that little letter from the bank? This loan has been paid in full. Now, if they sent you a payment book with that letter, wouldn't you be a little upset? Say, well, wait a minute, I paid for it. Why are you sending me a payment book? It's paid. That's the Old Testament law. It was paid. And... Every day in the life of the true Bible-believing Christian is supposed to be a rest in the finished work of Jesus Christ. But there are reasons why 
Galatians chapter 6, And be not weary in well-doing, for ye shall reap in due season if ye faint not. There's a reason that's left in here, and that reason is given to us. It says, Let us therefore fear the promise of God's rest is given to us. But it says, Any of you should seem to come short of it. Now see, God's promise is there. God's rest is there. And no, we're not talking about just putting on rose-colored glasses and looking at life tinted pink. Uh, We're not talking about just the way you think about things and the way you look at things. What we're talking about is a reality here that will bring peace and comfort to your heart and rest to your soul each and every day that you live. It is a real rest. It is to be enjoyed. And the reason why we struggle so much is because we're not resting in our Savior. That is the challenge of today's message. You can miss out on God's rest the same way someone can miss out on God's salvation. You can miss God's salvation not because God only chose to save the elect, but because you refuse to take what God is offering. Now, as the Christian, if you are here today and you are saved, you can rest in what God has done to pay the price for your sins. But let me ask you, Christian, how many of us, myself is included in this, have struggled with God after we've asked His forgiveness for our sins, trying somehow to make this thing more right than Jesus already has? You see, that's not rest. Rest is letting someone else do the work. Amen? Do we have any backseat or side seat drivers here today? You see, it's an illustration of what we do with the Lord. See, I like to drive. And when someone else is driving, I like to go in the backseat and take a nap. Because sometimes you're sitting there and you're going, I especially experienced this with Peter, teaching him to drive. Step on the brake! (laughs) Slow down! Speed up! Get through the intersection, right, Sarah? Oh, You're not driving, but you're going through much more stress than if you were. Does that sound vaguely familiar to the way we live life? Quote, unquote, resting in our Savior. We're not resting at all. We're trying to give him instruction on how to take care of us when he knows more about us than we know about ourselves. You see, the first thing he wants us to give rest for, from, is rest from our sin. Ninety percent, no, no, what am I giving a percentage for? Ninety-nine point whatever. Almost all religion is built upon this premise. You come, you do what we tell you to, And maybe you'll be good enough to escape God's judgment for your sins. Now you pick the religion. Would not Buddhism fit that that general uh, pattern of religion? Yes, it does. Islam, does it fit that general pattern? Oh yeah, everybody's got a different list of things that you're supposed to do. Now we're not going to argue about the list today. In fact, we never argue about the list because the lists are non-topical. 
If you go to the Catholic Church, they'll give you a whole list of things you're supposed to do. You go to the Pentecostal Church, you go to the Protestant Church, you go to any other type of religion. You go out into the jungles and get national pornographic, I mean geographic uh, camera crew to go with you there and you're going to show all of the rituals of these ancient jungle people. They're supposed to do these things so they can be good enough to escape God's judgment or the judgment of the gods. Because if you're good enough, then you don't get judged. Now that's a lie. Because the question is, how good is good? How many good things do you have to do to pay for the wrong things that you've already done? And honestly and truly, what can be done to take away the hurt that you have caused others or the hurt that others have caused you? Can you go back in time and erase that like an old chalkboard and wipe it off with a wet rag and then it's all perfectly clean? No, the human mind and soul does not work that way. When events have unfolded in our lives, they are written indelibly upon our souls and only the blood of Jesus Christ can erase the guilt and the suffering. But sometimes it's a battle, is it not? I mean, man loves to make horror movies. And the most horrible thing they do is the monster is killed and then it comes back to life. And I think the general rule is, somebody said this one time, that if a monster is really to be killed, it's got to be killed at least three times. But they've, they've made more sequels of more old horror movies and they keep bringing... How many times has Frankenstein been brought back from the dead? I mean, come on. It's a whole lot more than three. Uh, I get a little weary of all this stuff. But more horrible than any horror movie invented in the machinations of the depraved human mind, you can put yourself to rest and all of those things that have happened in the past and they'll be back to haunt you tomorrow. Isn't that true? So what has to happen if you're going to enter into his rest and deal with this thing about sins past that you have committed, that others have committed towards you? Number one, you have to understand what the Bible says, that they were paid for by the blood of Jesus Christ. Let's go back to our illustration of the loan. If the loan is paid off, why are you reopening the books and trying to repay the loan? If the issue has been settled, if the law has been fulfilled, why are you still trying to fulfill them? What you have to do, just like the illustration of driving the car... You have to let the person who is driving drive the car instead of you trying to drive it for them. It is very stressful trying to drive for someone else when you're sitting in the passenger seat. In fact, many accidents are caused because the person in the passenger seat feels threatened and grabs the steering wheel or tries to somehow put on the brakes or something when they do not have access to that part of the vehicle. And we often make shipwreck of our lives because we go back to the graveyard of sins forgiven and try to repay something that Christ has already paid for. The Bible says in Psalm 103 verse 12, as far as the east is from the west, so far hath he removed our transgressions from us. How far is the east from the west, my friend? Our space shuttle travels at 22, 23 times the speed of sound when it's in space. It can cross the continental United States in about three minutes. 
even less time than that. And stop and think about this, that the space shuttle, a, a normal mission from what I understand, is between two and three million miles. But when that thing takes off, if it's heading east, guess what direction it's going to be landing in? It's going to come from the west and land to the east. If it is heading west, guess what direction it's going to come in for a landing? Because no matter how many times you circle this globe, if you're heading east, guess what? You're still heading east. If you're heading west, you're still heading west. There is no such thing as an east or west pole. You never come to a point when you get to the north pole, guess what? Every step you take will be south. When you get to the South Pole, every step you take will be heading north. But there's no such thing as an east and a west pole. If you're heading east, you will always be heading east. The only way you can head west is to turn around. Aren't you glad God never turns around? You see, this is what Scripture means when it means rest in God. We take our sins and we give them to God. I like to word things that make you think about them and I want you just to listen to this next little phrase. You cannot escape God's love. You say, I don't want to escape God's love. I want to embrace it. I, I want it to fill me. I want to be part of my life. If you want God's love to fill you, you've got to rest in Him. Amen? You've got to let Him do the work of saving your soul, of paying for your sin. As long as you are trying to pay for your sin... Jesus Christ's payment avails you nothing. God will not make you get saved. But once you are saved, you cannot escape His love. For sin shall not have dominion over you, for ye are not under law, but under grace. That's Romans chapter 6 and verse 14. Again, let's be honest this morning. How many of us as Christians struggle with temptation and sin in our lives? Every honest hand just went up. As a Christian, you struggle with these things. Now, here's why we sin. is because we stop resting in Christ... And we put our focus on the sin and we say, I'm going to get rid of that thing. Well, what have you just done? You've taken your focus off Christ and put it on the very thing you want to get rid of. And then you wonder why you can't get it out of your mind. It's because you're thinking about it. Would you fill in the blank would you be tempted with that sin if Jesus were sitting beside you? Absolutely not. It would be impossible. The story of Peter walking on the water. Amazing story. He said, if, it, if it's really you, Jesus, tell me to get out of the boat. And Peter got out of the boat. But when he started looking at the winds and the storm, he sank. But Jesus reached forth his hand. And I don't think Jesus picked Peter up and carried him back to the boat. But I'll tell you what, it wouldn't be hard walking on the water if you were holding Jesus' hand, now would it? The problem is, we talk about our fellowship with God, our worship toward God, is we allow our attention and our energies to be taken off the Savior and to be put on something else. 
You say, well, how am I supposed to get my job done? How am I supposed to work and put up with all the things I have to put up with at work? Well, here, here's a good way to look at it. Why do you go to work? And you say, well, I go to work so I can pay my bills. Well, why should we pay our bills? Well, the Bible says as a Christian that we ought to have a good testimony and we ought to handle money correctly and honestly and we ought to provide for our families. In fact, the Bible says if you don't provide for your family, you're worse than an infidel and you've denied the faith. Oh, so let's take it one more step into where it ought to be. The reason I work my job and put up with what I have to put up with on the job is so I can serve Christ. Do you think you could rest in the Savior and put up with what you have to put up with at work? And that's easy for me to say because I work here. But if my life is about serving Christ... And in order to be obedient to him, I have to pay my bills. That's what the Bible teaches. I have to provide things honest in the sight of all men. Well, then the reason I work my job is so that I can serve Christ. Now, that means I've got to rest in him and let him take care of the problems so that my mind can concentrate on serving him. Does that sound like rest to you? I'll tell you what, it's a lot more restful than trying to solve those problems yourself. It's a lot more restful than trying to figure out they're playing mind games. Well, I got rid of mine years ago. Say, what do you mean? Well, if you'll give your mind to Christ, then the world can't play with it. Now, how do you do that? Well, we're going to get to that in a minute, but we have to understand that our sins were paid for on the cross. Now, if you're of the attitude that I can go out and do whatever I want because Jesus paid for all my sin, the Bible says that you're not saved. The Bible says you don't have an understanding of what God's forgiveness is. But if we'll take our sins to Christ and confess them as the Bible says, He is just, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. You cannot escape God's love. He will give you the victory over sin if you will focus on Him and rest in Him rather than in yourself. Rest from our sin. Most torment that comes in our life, most of the anguish that we deal with, where does it come from? Right in here now, doesn't it? I mean, remember the fellow that tried to explain to me how all evolution happened on Steinway Street? This was years ago. Uh, I gave him a gospel track, and he was... Rather strange little man. It was the middle of summer and three-piece suit and everything, you know, and, and I'm sitting there, okay. And he took the track out of my hand, took one look at it and said, Sir, would you like to know how evolution happened? And the track I gave him was just an invitation to church. I'm thinking in my mind, all I want you to do is show up at a church service and here you're going to explain to me about evolution. This is going to be good. And it was. He said, all evolution happened on a planet inside the constellation of the Pleiades and Adam and Eve got all the animals when they had finished evolving and put them on a spaceship and came to Earth. And I just looked at him and I said, sir, where in the world did you come up with that idea? This is what he did. He looked at me and said, right here. I don't know whether this was in the flesh or in the spirit. We'll trust that it was in the spirit, but I just ducked down because he was rather diminutive of stature, and I said, Sir, I want you to understand something. You got real problems. 
right here. And he just gave me one of those looks like, you don't believe me. And I'm going, no, not at all. You see, people make all kinds of things up in their minds. And it's not limited to strange little men who believe that evolution happened on a planet inside the constellation of the Pleiades. Because every one of us as human beings make up most of our problems in our own minds, do we not? How many times have you gotten into trouble trying to figure out what someone was thinking about what you were thinking about and what you said and what they thought about what you said and how they interpreted I mean, say guilty, preacher. You don't need to go any further there. How in the world can we know that our thinking is straight? Well, I want you to skip down with me to verse 12 of this same chapter. Remember, the subject of the chapter is to enter into the rest that God has, not to miss that rest because the promise is there. Verse Let's read verse 11. It says, Let us labor, therefore, to enter into that rest, lest any man fall after the same example of unbelief. For the word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing of sunder of soul and spirit and of the joints and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. Neither is there any creature that is not manifest in his sight, but all things are naked and opened unto the eyes of him with whom we have to do. How many of you could use some rest from your own understanding and perception of what goes on around you? I tell you, all of us could. Here's how you get that rest. You've got to get enough of God's word in your soul that it discerns or it tells you the difference between what's going on right in your mind and in your heart and what's going on wrong. The key definition or link, we should say, the number one symptom of all mental disease or emotional disorders, however you want to put it, is the lack of being able to discern what is real and what is not. Now that's as simple a definition as you can get of mental or emotional disorders. And every one that they have, all the long list of things, fits right into that category. We're not trying to complicate things, we're trying to make them simple so we can understand them. And when a person cannot discern what is real and what is not, that is when they become subject to all of these weird and strange and sometimes horrid things that influence their lives. Who was it? One of, one of the great serial killers. There's no such thing as a great serial killer or evil man. What was it? The, he got his instructions from the neighbor's dog, if you remember that. Son of Sam, I think that one was. And then someone else said, the TV spoke to me. And uh, by the way, the TV does speak to you. That's why you should turn the dumb thing off. Amen? If you got one of those cables, I got a pair of snips, I'll loan you. Just take it home and... And then it won't speak to you anymore. Amen? But... but this fellow claimed that the TV would come on when it was unplugged and it would give him directions to go and do horrid things to people. I would dare say that both of these are extreme examples of people who passed over that line that could no longer tell the difference between what was real and what was imaginary. And yet, how many times not how many of us, how many times has each of us in this room allowed our desires and our attentions to be wrapped around something that we thought would solve our problems or help us out 
only to find out that we're in bigger trouble now than we were then. I've talked to many people over the years. Well, Pastor, you don't understand. If I could just get married. Well, wasn't it, uh, I think it was Mr. Getty that said, uh, I give my fortune for one happy marriage, and he ought to know because he had eight or nine unhappy ones. Marriage does not solve problems, my friend. It'll only make the ones you have worse. You've got to get the problem solved before you get married. Because without the work of God in your hearts and in your lives, it is just going to become a nightmare. They say the closest thing to heaven on earth is a godly marriage. The closest thing to the other place on earth is a ungodly marriage. The most stress the human being can endure is not the death of a spouse, but it's divorce. That's provable over and over again. So what do people do? They don't get married. We just live together. Uh, let Let me tell you the stress of breaking up when you've been living together for any period of time is equal to that of a divorce, you're not going to escape the laws of retribution and all of these things unless, what does it say here? The Word of God is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. How many lives have been ruined by someone wanting something good, quote-unquote, for another human being? I want my son to be a great doctor or lawyer. I want my daughter to be or my child to be a great sports star or, or I want my... Listen, you can want good things for your children, and you ought to, but if you want them the wrong way, you will destroy their lives. How you can tell the difference is you've got to get enough word, you've got to get enough of this book in your heart that it will convict you of the things that you want, whether they're truly biblical or they're just out of your own heart. There's nothing wrong with having a new car or owning a home or any of these things. But if that's all you're living about, you'll find that there's no peace in that new car and no matter how beautiful the, home, the house is, it'll never be a home unless the Word of God is directing what you're doing. You're never going to find rest. My father-in-law told me the story. He said, I know too many men that have built their little log cabin out in the country and when they finish it, they die of a heart attack. He says, so I'm never going to finish mine. And he's still building on that thing. And, and uh, he's got enough work there to keep him going until he's about 95. So I expect that Brother Marshall's going to be around for a long time. But see, part of that problem is when we finally get that very thing that we think that we need, when we finally achieve it, you spend your whole life preparing for retirement. And when you finally get there, you find out it wasn't what it was promised to be. Everything in life is like that. Unless you let the Word of God work in you and rest from your own understanding of reality. The Bible will tell you what is real and what is not. The Bible will give you direction so that you can look And it's so simple when you let the Bible do that work. 
And it's so complicated when you try to do it yourself. Amen? If you want to rest, you've got to keep in the Word of God until you find out what it says about your question. And then, are you willing to take God at His Word? I wish I had a dollar for every person that has told me over the years, well, Pastor, I know what the Bible says, but... No, I know what the Bible says, period. What the Bible says is what we must do, amen? That is, you talk about worship. Worship is not swaying to beautiful music and feeling good about things. Worship is obedience to the Word of God. When we obey God's Word, when we simply take Him at His Word, is that not how you got saved? Amen? If you're saved today, you took God at His word. So let's take our sin and rest in the finished work of Jesus Christ. Amen? Let's take our understanding of life and reality and let's make it subject to the word of God. Let's let God's word tell us what we ought to think and understand about things. You remember when you were a little kid? And you would something somebody would say something that you didn't understand or something that would hurt you, and you would go to your parents and say, I don't understand why they gotta be so mean to me. And mom and dad would talk to you and explain that, listen, you can't let the words of others govern what you think about yourself. Because they're wrong about everything, aren't they? And you got your focus back on your parents and trusted in what they said instead of what the mean bully down the street said. And the whole world changed. Can we not trust in the Savior and in His Word rather than trying to find our fulfillment by listening to the psychobabble and political talk of our day. No one knows what the future holds. And if you did, they would put you in jail for having inside information. So it's a good thing that you don't know. (coughs) But what I want to do is let this book tell me what is real and what is not, and rest in the Savior. Amen? Now, I just want to make one more point, and and we're done. God's rest is there, whether you ever realize it or not. God's rest does not change because you refuse to accept it. That's why three different times in in this verse, in this chapter, and in chapter 3 there are also warnings, but let's just look at at chapter 4 here. Verse 1 says, Let us therefore fear. How many of you have ever been afraid of something that didn't happen? Everybody. I mean, we're always afraid. I remember... Uh, Probably the most fear that I ever remember in my life. We had just gotten into the building here and and, um, we were working things and I heard some weird noises in the basement. Sounded like somebody was down there. And so I went down and began to check through the different rooms and of course I didn't know the building very well and I walked into the men's bathroom downstairs and I heard a click. And all the lights went out. I mean, it sounded like somebody turned off the switch and left me in the dark in the bathroom. Now that's a... I'm going to be... I was... What is going on? And then I got a hold of something. I said, now wait a minute. Whatever it is, 
it's going to be a whole lot better to face it than to just stay in here and be afraid of it. You know what I found out? That I have the worst luck in the world. I had walked into the bathroom the very moment the time clock was set to turn out the lights. Now how in the world could you engineer that? I got it done. The fear that was manufactured in my mind was real, let me tell you. But did I have anything to be afraid of? Absolutely not. And you'll find that you'll spend your entire life being afraid of things that you shouldn't be worried about and not spending any time at all being afraid of the things that you ought to be afraid of. The greatest fear you ought to have in your life is missing out on the rest that God has for you. Now, how much of us have spent very much time being afraid of missing God's rest? I dare say not a hand will go up. Because we don't think about life in that way. But yet, if we want to have God's rest and want to have His blessing and comfort in our soul, the Bible says that that's what we ought to be afraid of. Because that is something that can happen and something that nearly every hand has been raised at one point or another in this service giving testimony to the fact that we have missed God's rest in one or more portions of our life. Would you ask God to allow you to be afraid of missing His rest that He has for your soul? That would be a decision that will change 2011. Look at verse 9. It says, There remaineth therefore a rest to the people of God. Now, we're not going to take time to build this thing completely here, but here's what the, the author of the book of Hebrews is telling us. He said, God promised the children of Israel a rest if they would enter into the promised land and they refused to enter into the promised land because they were afraid of the people that were there. Remember they said, they are grasshop- we are grasshoppers in their sight and uh, all of these things. And for 40 years they wandered in the wilderness. They did not have the rest that God intended for them. But... Verse 8 says, For if Jesus had given them rest, he would not afterward have spoken of another day. Jesus in his teaching said, Listen, there's a rest for the people of God. And we've not realized that yet. And of course we understand that the greatest fulfillment of Jesus' uh, 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 idea or teaching of rest is when we get to heaven. When we get to heaven... We're not going to be worried about all the things that happen here on earth. Amen? You're not going to be worried about temptation when you get to heaven. Amen? You're not going to be worried about someone injuring you when you get to heaven. And by the way, you're not going to be worried about your misdeeds injuring someone else when you get to heaven. Won't that be wonderful? It says, there remaineth a rest. And verse 11 tells us that we need to labor to enter into that rest. So the first thought this morning as we close is, number one, will you allow God to make you afraid of that which you should be afraid of missing out on his rest? Number two, would you allow God to teach you how to labor to enter into that rest. You see, the greatest, the greatest key to losing your rest is unbelief. The reason we go back and we dig up our old sins and we worry about all of these things is because we refuse to believe that Jesus 
paid it all, that it is finished on the cross. The reason we go back and we relive other people's sins against us is because we refuse to believe that Jesus paid for them all on the cross. The key to forgiveness is not in your heart. It's in the finished work of Jesus Christ. If God will forgive that person for their sin, you have no right to hold it against them. Let God take care of His judgment. By the way, there's a whole life of rest right there, is there not? How many of you said last January, I am going to do my Bible reading schedule this year no matter what? How many of you got it done? Don't raise your hand. I can tell that And I'll tell you what, I didn't get all the Bible reading done I wanted to get done this year. Peter said, I did it, Dad. I got through the Bible seven whole times in the year. When he left for college to go back uh, Thursday, he said, I've got until Friday night to finish the seventh time through the Bible. I said, well, son, where are you? Exodus. Now, I think only Peter could get the whole Bible read in three days, but he did it. He said, I don't like reading that fast, but I got it done. And and I'm saying, good for you, son. But just reading to keep our schedule is not really reading many times. When you really read, you got to pick things out. You've got to let those words sink down in. That's work. That's labor. If you want to labor for something, read this book. I like to read. In fact, um, and, and I love to read history. And it's very easy to sit down a well-written historical book. And I'm, I'm not talking, I don't believe in historical novels. I despise them. I, I want to know the facts. I want to know what really happened. Uh, I bought a book a little while ago on the life, the political life of Abraham Lincoln. It's about 850 pages. It's a really good book. If you've got time to read that kind of stuff, you ought to read it. it. It will really help you understand all of the things that God did in history to preserve our country at that critical crossroads of time. Because the author, of course, gave Abraham Lincoln credit for all of this political machination which uh, uh, the greatest architect in history couldn't have planned all on their own. Uh, you can see the hand of God working in the lives of individuals if you'll just read what's going on. I could sit there. I read through that book in probably part-time two or three weeks. It's not hard. But let me tell you, you can't read the Bible like that because this book takes work because it's not man's words, it's God's words. It says, let us labor. How many of you have really prayed for something till you actually broke out in a sweat till you actually felt tired not because you fell asleep while you prayed but because of the energy that was expended in your prayers I tell you that doesn't happen very often now does it you think that's the kind of labor that's being spoken about in this verse so that we will not fail to enter into God's rest? And by the way, what is one of the greatest motivations to pray? It's being afraid, is it not? I mean, you pray for that little one that's sick now, don't you? You pray for that loved one that falls ill and the doctors say, we don't know what the cause is. Tell you what, you get into financial trouble and you'll, you'll pray. 
could we ask God to teach us to labor? Now look at verse 10. It says, For he that is entered into his rest, he also hath ceased from his own works, as God did from his. This is the rest that God is speaking about. My sins are forgiven not by my works, but by the works of Jesus Christ. My understanding of reality is not based on my ability to perceive and analytically uh, uh, categorize and systematize the information and the uh, stimulation that I receive. My understanding of reality is based upon the words of this book called the Bible. I'm going to rest in God's opinion of the situation rather than in mine or in some talk show host, or in some political figure, or some preacher on the radio. I'm not asking you to believe what I say because I say it. I'm asking you to believe what the Bible says because God said it. That's the difference. And that's where you'll find rest. Will you ask God to let you be afraid of missing out on His rest? Will you ask God to give you the grace to labor in reading His Word, in prayer, in being in church? Will you ask God to help you stop working for God and let God work through you? Then we'll have rest. And 2011 will be a completely different year in 2010. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we come before you and we ask you that you would allow your word to refocus our heart on the things that you want it to be focused on. Lord, we ask that you would make us afraid of missing your rest instead of missing the next promotion at work or missing that job interview that promises so much, or missing that sale that will give us that coveted item which we so desire. Lord, we ask that you would help us to be afraid of the right things, the things that can happen. Lord, we ask for a mind and a heart to labor, to put forth effort, that we might not miss that rest. And Lord, we understand that that labor is in the reading and understanding of your word and in our prayers to you and in being faithful to our attendance in our church that you've given us. Lord, we ask that you would teach us to cease from our own works and let you work through us that you may be honored and glorified. Lord, we're asking for that rest, that we may have the freedom to live for you and tell others about your goodness. We ask you to work during this time of invitation that we would not simply be stirred, but our lives would be changed. In your name we pray. Amen. Let's.